You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Markets Podcast on the FSM Network. Here's your guy, Benny Hyde. The Fantasy Sports Markets Podcast is back. Welcome in, everybody. Ben Heisler with you. We are coming to you and recording on a Friday afternoon ahead of another really big week in college basketball. And don't forget, over on FantasySportsMarkets.com, there are a lot of college basketball contests that you can dive into with thousands up for grabs in perfect roster bonus money. We have, of course, our Top 25 contest with $1,000 for a perfect roster bonus. And also, because it's Saturday, we have conference-only competitions as well for the Power Five in the Big 12, Big 10, ACC, SEC, and Pac-12. All those contests are available over at FantasySportsMarkets.com. Also, if you're listening on a Friday, it's a big NBA night as well. Plenty of contests are up and ready to go. And, of course, for NHL, uh, we got the free contest for Friday with only one game going on but then back again on Saturday and then for the weekend as well. Also something to keep an eye on, we will have a Daytona 500 contest from all different levels, ranging from as low as a dollar entry up to $20. So there are plenty of ways for you to get in for the start of the NASCAR season. And don't forget to use the promo code QUANTEDGE, Q-U-A-N-T-E-D-G-E, thanks to our great partners over at thequantedge.com. That promo code, when you log in at fantasysportsmarkets.com, will get you $5 on us with no deposit required you can enter it in any of the contests that you like and have a chance to win cash in the process so it's a great way to try non-salary dfs if you have not done so uh here on fantasysportsmarkets.com for those of you that are new to the podcast thank you for joining us also Please take a second, if you like the show, to rate and review us on iTunes, uh, in Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. When we post the show, we post it through our Anchor link. And Anchor is great because it will connect you to whatever podcast app you listen to your podcast on. Uh, For example, I'm a big fan of Overcast. And so there's a link directly to Overcast, and I can go right through the app and be able to find it. So by clicking that link, it puts the podcast right in the palm of your hand on your mobile device, on your iPad, on your computer. It gets you to where you want to be. That's why we post that particular link. And then finally, you can follow us. We are on Twitter at FSM Contest. If you'd like to follow me, you can do so. At Benny Heist, we are on Instagram as well, at Fantasy Sports Markets, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Fantasy Sports Markets, and that is where you can go, amongst many other places, to watch our live content. You can go to Facebook, you can go uh, to Instagram, and you can also go to Periscope as well. I've had the privilege of knowing this guy for the last couple years when he was working his way up through the very tough Chicago radio scene. He has since gone on to become the outstanding college basketball writer and analyst for the Action Network. And you guys need to be following him, not on Twitter, well, also on Twitter, I should say, at Eli Hershkovich, but also on the Action Network app, where if you choose, you can go ahead and get alerts for when Eli is placing a wager. And chances are, more than often, that wager is going to be a successful one. He's had a great college basketball year, and he joins us now on the Fantasy Sports Markets Podcast. Eli, what's good? What's going on, Ben? Uh, Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here, man. And I want to get into this whole world that you've entered uh, because this has been a new venture over at the Action Network. You guys have hired a lot of really impressive writers. And also just from the college basketball scene, this is something that you had covered DePaul. You'd had a podcast on DePaul basketball. How did they find you? How did you find them? How did this marriage come together for you guys? 
So essentially, I've been following Stucky, Stuck at Stucky2 on Twitter. Uh, many of you guys know him by just Stucky, following his picks on the Action app. And I've been following him on Twitter for the last couple of years, two, three years, whatever it's been. So following his picks, tweeting with the back and forth, and then I reached out to him over the last, what, what year plus, and asked him about writing for Action Network when it first started up. And we kind of kept going from there. And this past off season in October, September, whatever it was, uh, we, we finally hit on it. And, um, and that's when it all got, uh, got started. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun working for Stucky, working for Scott Miller, who's a former editor at ESPN. He's the deputy editor at Action Network. And going through picks, like you mentioned, and, and the breakdown of the pick, within my actual columns of the game previews. You've always been involved in the college basketball scene. Were you always involved as well on the wagering side as well? No. So actually, uh, a guy that you know as well, Joe Ostrowski, last year got me hooked on college basketball betting. He'll do that. i side, obviously, for DFS. Yes, he will. He'll do it (laughs) fairly often. Yes. Uh, Get you betting every day, which is what I've been doing pretty much throughout the college basketball season. So it's it's been fun to to explore the, the the betting line of the actual game itself instead of treating every game like a pick 'em and and who's going to play well in a specific game looking at the line and what goes into a team being favored or a dog and and, and the the actual you know the reasoning behind what why you select a team on either side of the dog or the favorite no doubt and also sports wagering is kind of like the the older brother of, of DFS. It's been around longer. It's seen some things. It can tell you some stories. And I think the two of them really start to go hand in hand. And it's been a lot of fun uh, getting college basketball together, especially this year over at fantasy sports markets. But um, as far as what you've noticed to start 2018, midway through the season, everything in full conference play, uh, have there been any particular trends that you've noticed for this particular college basketball season, maybe ahead of others? Yeah, so specifically during non-conference play, it's kind of shifted away during conference play because you get teams that know each other more and you kind of throw trends out the window with the exception of an occasional undefeated trend. Like a couple weeks ago, Alabama was at home against Mississippi State. And before that game, they were 6-0 and against ranked SEC teams at home over the last two seasons. So beyond the actual matchup itself, I was leaning towards Alabama at home covering the minus two because of a, a part of that trend. So that, that went into it in that specific scenario. But back to non-conference play, if you're looking at, if you're looking at the spread between eight to nine and a half points, so just under a double-digit favorite, you're getting, when you're, when you're laying the points from eight and a half to, to nine and a half points or eight and a half to ten points, you're usually hitting on that bet 60% of the time. So the against the spread trend, was you're you're getting a positive net on it 60% of the time and that's something that I was looking towards in 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 non-conference play and another part of the reasoning behind that or the main part of it is because of the switch from RPI to net so in RPI you're looking this is what the selection committee the NCAA selection committee was geared towards when it before it switched to net this season which a lot of people don't realize and once the the top 16 seeds come out on Saturday then they'll start to see the, the change, if there is a change, from RPI to net. But net includes defensive and offensive efficiency, and you're, and you're looking to sustain that through an entire game, not just scoring margin and opponents based on quadrants. So RPI just included strength of schedule and quadrant 
wins. So whether a, a team ranked in the top 50, at home, away, whatever it might have been, there were just two categories within RPI. For, for net, you're looking at more metrics and efficiency, and we'll see how much that actually plays into the selection committee's process. But teams are starting to play that way more this season, and what that means is they're keeping their starters in longer in the game. So an example was, I bet Columbia plus 15 on the road at Northwestern, and they were hovering around 14, 15, 16 in the second half, trailing by that deficit, and then Northwestern kept their starters in through the final two minutes when it was already a 15-point game, and what do you know, they, they won by 21 points, and I, and I whipped on the spread. So that, those kind of trends I look for more specifically in non-conference play, and besides the 8.5 to 10-point uh, 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 favorite, you're looking at those kind of things in conference play too because coaches are keeping their starters in more to keep that efficiency higher. And also the, a lot of the familiarity within conference. You know, a lot of these coaches are are familiar with style, unless of course you know you were you know rooting for a Tom Crean coach team and realized that he never knew how to coach his team how to you know play offense against a 2-3 zone, but that's a conversation for another time and a rant for another time Talk as well. Top Indiana. Oh, my goodness. Again, that was a, it's been a weird year for them. So when you're writing <laughs> your columns over at theactionnetwork.com, they're very detail-oriented. There's a lot of information that stands out, and ultimately you come up with a couple picks or two and a couple plays for that slate of games. So when you're looking ahead for your columns, what exactly are you looking for? Are you using the Action Network tools? Are you, are you looking at Ken Palm ratings? Take us through your process of, of what you're looking for to find those edges in the games that you're writing about. First and foremost, it's matchups. Because you don't just want, at least from my perspective, some betters are different. They look at spots, which is the secondary part of my process, but those spots can trend more towards where the money is going, where the action is going from the sharp betters, and where the big money is going as well, which you can access on the Action Network app. But first and foremost, I'm looking at the matchups themselves. And within that, Kempom is a tremendous resource, whether it's effective field goal percentage. So combining the two-point percentage and putting a little bit more emphasis on three-point field goal percentage, along with where the highest percentage of where the highest scoring percentage from that respective team is coming from. So even if a team has a high three-point percentage, right, going into a matchup, where the, the opposition is allowing a lot of threes. You, will, you would think, well, that's an automatic, and, and sometimes it might be. But if that team's scoring percentage, if, they're only, if their scoring percentage ranks in the, 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 200, the 200th level or the 300th level among 350 NCAA teams in terms of three-point shooting, in terms of how much offense you're getting from three-pointers, then you might look uh, next to two-pointers. And if the opposition is, is sound against that category and, and the team isn't, you know, the scoring percentage isn't very high in two-point field goals, then you might look at another matchup. It, it really is, I don't like to base everything on metrics, but it is interesting and a trend I've come a lot more towards, and it's a more statistical trend, is that scoring percentage, how many points a team is getting from three-pointers versus two-pointers versus free throws and looking at, what is the other team giving up? But there's obviously a lot of other factors that go into that. Uh, if there's a good matchup uh, for, an, for a player, even if the team is giving up a few amount of three-pointers per game, if you're able to expose a, uh, a poor point guard where the, where the starting point guard for the team you're looking to back 
is a good three-point shooter, then it could then it could play a little bit differently. But that's kind of a, an in-depth view of the matchup perspective. And then I go to spots. So, for instance, one bet that pissed me off a ton last night was the Memphis-Cincinnati spot. Cincinnati had gone undefeated in conference play besides that, their loss on the road to East Carolina. Memphis was 9-5 and five at home against the spread, and, and um, Cincinnati was on the verge of playing Houston coming up, which, is the, which are the top two teams in the American Athletic Conference this Sunday. So you look at that spot. It, it was supposed to be a letdown spot on the road at Memphis, a team that's, again, good at home against the spread. Memphis was, was up double figures in the second half, so you're feeling good about the play. And Memphis was controlling the pace, which is a part of my breakdown as well, controlling the battle on the glass and, and therefore controlling the pace and the tempo of that one with their quick pace tempo versus Cincinnati's slower pace and one of the one of the slowest teams in college basketball. And then what do you know? Memphis starts turning the ball over, which was a part of their problem this season. They have one of the highest turnover rates in the country, and Cincinnati can turn their opposition over and create on-ball turnovers like that. And the spot ended up disintegrating because, well, the better team just won. So you can go back and forth on the matchup and the spot. Sometimes just the better team wins, which is on occasion, where the money is going, and for for a large chunk of it, where the money is going. Again, using last night as in as in Thursday night as an example, Houston on the road at UCF. It could have been considered a, a, a bad spot for Houston because, again, they were going into that matchup with Cincinnati on Sunday, which I'm sure is a game we're going to look ahead at. But they go on the road at UCF, a team that's struggled against upper-tier competition, and Houston controls the glass. They're one of the best game-rebounding game teams in the country. That's not necessarily a metric. That's just what you're watching for during a game, which is also part of the breakdown. So that was a, a lot of chunky a lot of chunky verbiage, whether it was in the <laughs> statistical category or the breakdowns itself. But I look at money last when I'm, when I'm – when I'm when I'm looking at a matchup, because I don't want where the money is going to to automatically sway me towards one side or the other, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, and I think early on when I was first using a lot of those Action Network tools, uh, I would go right to the money, and the more that I realized it, the more it would start to sway me from uh, my original thought process and my research. So it's a great tool to have. Maybe if you're on the fence about the research and the information that you're putting together, but by no means should it be the only trend that you should be looking for, uh, as we're joined by Eli Hershkovitz of the Action Network here on the FSM Podcast. So before we get to some of the games that uh, you're most intrigued by ahead of this weekend, uh, and also maybe a couple DFS plays that you like over on Fantasy Sports Markets as well, uh, I want to talk futures with you. It's a fun time, especially mid-February, when we're you know about a month or so out from the start of the NCAA tournament, to start to take a look at the teams that maybe aren't getting the the love that they deserve and, and you can take advantage on the betting market and on the wagering market uh with where their future lines are at and you wrote a car you wrote an article uh back at the tail end of january about how maryland is the team and right now i, I think on bavada and a couple of the other sites they're at 101 to win the ncaa tournament with top 20 legit talent on their team uh, why are you buying in on maryland at this point it bugs me but it also it helps when I'm looking at future plays, the value is still there because, well, a team lost two straight games. A team lost three out of their last four games. So automatically, you're going to see the value increase when you're looking at the odds jumping up from Maryland was 70 to 1 in December and into January versus now they're 100 to 1. So you're going to get better value once those teams go on poor stretches. 
because you're not seeing money go into them, whether it's in Vegas or offshore sites, whatever it may be. A large part of the reason why I, I like Maryland is because you look at the talent on that team, and it goes back to their two-game stretcher after, after, the, after I wrote the article with three of four games that they lost. And you're looking at the losses during that stretch from Maryland. Obviously, the big one people pointed to, even though that team is now in a downstretch, losing their last three games as a Friday, Michigan State, a team they lost to on the road. And then you look at their, their, one of their latest losses was against Wisconsin on the road. And I'll get back to that game in a second, along with Illinois. Now, people say, well, Illinois is a bottom-tier Big Ten team. So, at the time, clearly Maryland's future odds were going to drop. But Illinois has shown, hence their win against Michigan State uh, earlier this week, that they can ball against basically anybody. And their 1-4 defense took Maryland out of the game, and Maryland hadn't seen that look. Now, part of that is the reason why I like Maryland, because for the first time all season in that game, Maryland hadn't seen a 1-4 defense where you were essentially taking the ball out of Anthony Collins hands, which is their primary ball handler and one of the best scores by using the Illinois freshman and a really sound on ball defender that's going to put a lot of pressure on you in Iowa Sundu. But since then we've seen Eric Ayala will really develop another freshman, uh Cowan being a junior. Ayala is a is a really good secondary ball handler that could shoot the ball at a really high rate. And I loved watching Maryland against Wisconsin. That was part of the reason why I was on them. I thought they had a shot to win that game and then really get on a run, and then the, if, if Maryland wins at Wisconsin, the value spikes. But a huge play in that second half, Bruno Fernando picks up a, a very questionable third foul, and that changed the course of that second half to me. But looking at this Maryland team, Bruno Fernando, one of the best bigs, one of the most underrated bigs in the country, and he helps Maryland lead Maryland to a top-20 offensive and defensive rebounding rate in the country. So you're looking at them being able to control the glass and hence control the pace of the game, control the tempo, and Maryland's an average tempo team, which means they can run on you and they can also slow the tempo down with Cowan and Ayala as well as their primary ball handlers, the two primary ball handlers on that team, wind you down in the shot clock but also speed you up in transition, which Cowan does so well, and Bruno Fernando as well, Justin Smith another freshman that I'm talking about, along with Wiggins, another underclassman on that team, another freshman, I believe. So there's so much young talent on that team under Mark Turgeon, who who obviously people like to question, but you want to see, you want to nab a team in futures at this point of the season, at the beginning of the season, it's a little different, but you want to get a team that hasn't hit its peak yet. When Maryland has not even come close to that at this point, because of their young talent, and you're seeing you're seeing their young talent come into play in, in some of their losses, where they're turning the ball over a little bit too much, and and that's been a, a bit of an issue for them. They're in the they're in the top fifty, I believe, in turnover turnover percentage offensively, so that could sway you in the other direction. But again, you're looking at a team that hasn't hit its ceiling yet at all, offensively or defensively. They can protect the basket with Smith and Fernando at a, at a high rate. And, uh, again, it, with, uh, with uh, another part of it is you want big shot makers down the stretch of a game in a tournament, in an NCAA-like tournament scenario, whether it's in the Big Ten tournament or in, the, or in March Madness itself. And Anthony Cowan is a high-volume shot maker. I, it looks like one of those big-time shooters that's going to come up clutch at March Madness. And you could say, well, it's just a, a theory. It's, you, you need good point guards that can shoot the basketball and can not only create for others but create their own shot. Cowan's an adept three-point shooter, 
and Maryland's top 50 in the country in three-point shooting. So they can play on the block. They can play from outside. They can rebound the basketball, and they're also an underrated defensive team. They're top 100 in adjusted defensive efficiency, which goes into points per 100 possessions. A long breakdown, but that's why I really like Maryland for the long term into March. I like that call a lot, and again, there's places you can find them at 125-1. to But three things that stood out to me in particular was – Cowan has a chance to be a star in the NCAA tournament, a guy that's fearless with the basketball, that's willing to be able to both create off the dribble and get his own shot. Uh, Guard play is so dominant come tournament time. And I know that it's a bit cliche, but uh, if you have – Fernando inside and you have the ability for Cowan to make shots on the outside uh, and move the basketball around that's also a really good thing to work out for them Uh, low turnovers in the NCAA tournament and then you talked about pacing as well Uh, they can play slow because they play in a a methodical Big Ten and they can also push the pace as well so they're not going to be scared by teams that try to slow things down for them or when they like to go in an up uh, up tempo track meet as well so I I really like that call especially if you can find them at around 125 I I do want to play a quick little game of, of higher lower with some teams uh i looked at some of the best odds that i can find uh so i want you to tell me if these odds should be higher or lower for the following teams to win the ncaa tournament you ready to go let's do it all right let's start with tennessee at plus 750 they're the clear-cut number one team right now uh maybe you can make a very good argument for duke but tennessee and rick barnes a lot of people have liked to to fade them in the past including yours truly but Plus 750, does that make sense for Tennessee at this point? I would say lower for Tennessee is in dropping to 6-1, to 5-1, to one, that sort of thing. I love where Tennessee's at right now. And I took them 35-1 to one to begin the year. You look back at last year's loss, and a, a part of my reasoning was this team was top 10 in adjusted defensive efficiency last year. They lose on that. I don't want to call it a fluke shot because Loyola played them well throughout the entire game. They even came back from a first-half deficit which was a a part of their great defense along with Tennessee's. But the rim-rattling shot from Clayton Custer, that doesn't happen. Tennessee's looking at a no-Virginia region, and you have Kansas State and Kentucky still in the mix. But Tennessee's probably the favorite to win that region, or one of the top two favorites, along with Kentucky, after Virginia loses, along with Cincinnati, who followed suit against Nevada in the second round, along with Tennessee losing in the second round to Loyola. Kyle Alexander did not play in that Loyola loss uh, to go along with that. People don't understand how good of a rim protector, beyond the rest of Tennessee's weapons, how good of a rim protector and another guy that you could play on the block, along with Grant Williams, and Williams is a guy that could play inside out as well and has stretched the floor and his effective field goal percentage has gone way up. And that's where, yes, Tennessee's adjusted defensive efficiency has gone down a bit this season. Again, they were top ten last year. Now they're in the 30s range, but that could still fall back in. But for right now, I understand where the hesitancy is there defensively for Tennessee. But offensively, now they're top two in adjusted offensive efficiency in the country. That's how good this team is. And like you mentioned with Maryland, you want good guard play heading into March. Jordan Bone is a lot of these players are underrated on this team. Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams, although he's a Naismith candidate. Jordan Bone might be the most underrated player on Tennessee because you need that good guard to go on and win in March. Bowen can score uh, on the dribble drive and can create for others, but also shoot the ball, shoots at around 40% from deep, which is a huge plus to have a point guard like that so that, that scores around 15, 16 points per game that can be that third-range score. Also, a, a huge move by Rick Barnes this year. This was after the Kansas loss, so and, and at the time, Kansas had as a bookie, which they don't have right now, and you've seen Kansas odds dip 
tremendously, but what Rick Barnes did was give his secondary unit uh, a sixth man and a, a really good score in Jordan uh, Bowden, who played last year in the starting lineup along with Jordan Bone, a couple Jordans in there for Tennessee, and he put Yi Ponce in the starting lineup for, for the Vols, and that was starting with their Gonzaga loss of the game or their Gonzaga win in the game before that Gonzaga game is when he made the lineup switch. So you saw Tennessee be able to have a much bigger lineup and be able to switch at all positions, which, of course, you have to love. And Tennessee has sw- then switched things ever since then. Ponds out Lamont Turner in, which gives them a little bit more of a sharpshooter on the perimeter and puts Ponds and, and Bowden on the bench. So you have two sound secondary scores off the bench, and then you have Turner in the lineup. A really good offensive lineup. Grant Williams is one of the best back-to-the-basket players in college basketball, went 40 for 43 points at Vanderbilt a couple weeks ago, 23 of 23 from the line. This guy can get to the line, slow down the pace. Tennessee, again, like a Maryland, obviously could do it a little bit better than Maryland, but they could slow you down and play in a half-court setting and operate through Williams on the block, or they could speed you up in transition and run it through Schofield, and he could take you off the bounce or shoot it from three. The key to Tennessee's team Expanding offensively this year was something I mentioned earlier. Williams being able to stretch it from deep and Schofield also expanding his shooting range because now he's shooting in the in the high thirties and that's your two of your best players that are perimeter threats, which just makes your offense that much more efficient. I understand that people are gonna have the hesitancy of taking Rick Barnes in the tournament, but look at Jay Wright. Villanova was uh, was not bet on or wasn't a high volume bet going back to 2016 when when Villanova won that first national title uh, uh, the first time around against North Carolina. Now, obviously, they're a blue blood. I'm not saying Tennessee is going to become a blue blood, but coaches can change the perception based on, obviously, the effectiveness of their teams. You mentioned Kansas just a minute ago. They've gone from being the number one team in the NCAA now to plus 1,600 across some sites, and it's been a disaster. Obviously, no Silvio DeSosa, Hidoka Azubuki is done for the year, and now LeGerald Vick. Uh, going away from the team for potentially the rest of the season, although most reports are coming in that it's a leave of absence for only a couple weeks. But Kansas now at plus 1,600, should that number be higher or lower? Does it sound just about right to you? I would say higher. So we're looking at in that range, I don't like the value, essentially. You want to see it boost up a little bit, and still I don't like the value uh, if you're Kansas. Without Azubuki, like you mentioned, this team doesn't have the size and, and Dedrick Lawson is a, is a really sound post player, but in order to, to minimize one of your deficiencies, you have to obviously be more efficient in the other. And Kansas really struggles to shoot the ball from deep on a consistent basis. I understand if you look at the way they're playing in conference play, they're fourth in the Big 12 in three-point shooting, but they still struggle from a, on a game-to-game basis against bigger teams, and, and, and they can't minimize that deficiency because they can't shoot the three-ball well. So... Dotson and Grimes haven't developed and evolved into perimeter threats for them. Well, Gerald Vick is now taking a leave of absence for Kansas. Who knows when he's coming back? And I'm not take, trying to take a shot at him and whatever's going on in his life. He's got to take care of. But that takes arguably the best three-point shooter off the floor, even though he's been more inconsistent into conference play in, in, in the latter part of not conference play. Again, you have to be able to be more efficient in, in one area to minimize their, their inability to rebound well. And without Azubuki, they're struggling on the glass. They're ninth in the Big 12 in 
defensive rebounding rate, and that's going to carry on into March Madness. You might see him be a, a number four seed once the top 16 seeds are released, but I don't like the value at all. What about a top, I think it's a top six team currently in Nevada. Uh, they're listed on some sites at plus 2,000, so 20 to 1 to win the NCAA tournament. They have a ton of scoring talent on that team, and they made a bit of a run last year, but do you think 2,000 is a little bit uh, too high, too low, or just about right? No, I would say that's just about right for Nevada. Obviously, they were a little bit higher before they had a, a non-conference loss on the road at New Mexico that really made them drop. You, you lose on the road against a, a porous team, you're going to see the odds decline. And that was in conference play against New Mexico. They don't turn the ball over, which you like. They could switch at every position. And we saw that coming to play a ton last year in the tournament, not just with Nevada, but the likes of Villanova, obviously. And they could do it at a higher rate than anybody in the country last year. But Nova, Kansas, Loyola, Chicago, three of your final four teams could switch at essentially every position at either end of the floor with a, with a bunch of ball handlers and a bunch of wings that can match up with any position. Nevada could do that better than anybody in the, in the country, or close to uh, better than anybody in the country. And Jordan Caroline, Simeon Rice's son, a lot of people remember Simeon Rice playing for the Bucks, played at University of Illinois for his collegiate career. Jordan Caroline has taken a massive step up for, the, step up for Nevada this year. He's 48th in minute percentage, so... Eric Musselman is grinding him to the ground this year. Nevada has depth to do that, though. And he can shoot the ball at all levels. He can back you down, one of the most physical presences that can also handle the ball. That's such a key for a guy that can take you down on the block but handle the basketball as well. I like Nevada's odds, but the way they played on the road in conference play, teams like them and Buffalo, and Buffalo obviously has higher odds. And by higher odds, I mean we're not looking at 20 to 1, we're looking at 50 or 60 to 1. You look at them on the road at Colorado State. Yes, they won that game by 16 points, but that was in single digits back and forth through the second half until a couple technical fouls pushed that one up until double figures. We saw it on the road at Boise State, winning by a point on a, on a, on a three-pointer in the, in the winding seconds. So you're seeing a Nevada team that's starting to show its flaws. Yes, they're sound defensively, and you look at where they are in adjusted defensive efficiency. They're 33rd in the country in that department. You look at where they were last year, they're, they're miles ahead of where they were last year. They were 108th in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. But I'm still a little weary of their inconsistent play and their offense sputtering in the first half. They can Their defense can get them back in, in games, don't get me wrong. But when you see the competition ramp up, that's where it's obviously going to be tougher. Let me give you a couple more teams as we're wrapping up the wagering conversation with Eli Hershkovich of the Action Network. I'm going to give you two Big Ten teams. they got Purdue at plus 5,500, and Iowa, who coming off uh, a big win on the road against Indiana, uh, in very impressive fashion, I might add, especially with how they played in the first half, uh, at those same odds that you were talking about for Maryland at 125-1. to Are either of those numbers too high, too low, or probably where they should be? Yeah, so for Purdue, I would say they're right where they should be. You might see them get lower a little bit. So, like, like for, for instance, I believe the Westgate has them at 35-1. to 1. So if you can get them at 55-1, to 1, I would say grab it right now. I'm a little hesitant on Purdue, but that's still really good value because at a lot of sports books, the value is spiked up or spiked down, I guess, if you're looking at 35-25-1 to 25 to 1 for the Boilermakers. And you look at the way the Boilermakers have ascended in conference play. That's been the key. In non-conference play, it was Carson Edwards and everybody else. I was fading the heck out of Purdue in non-conference play. You saw them lose four of their starters. 
besides Carson Edwards from last year, I thought this team was going to regress in, in the wrong direction, and they did in non-conference play. Like they lost to Notre Dame and gave up a ton of threes and couldn't, couldn't answer with their own three-pointers. Uh, and this team is one of the best three-point shooting teams of the country. They're 33rd in, in, in three-point field goal percentage across college basketball. Ryan Klein being a huge key to that. And in addition, and a major addition uh, to the rotation, to the major part of this Purdue rotation, Matt Painter is another coach some people like to feed come tournament time. But Carson Edwards, we, we talked about Anthony Cowan earlier. Carson Edwards, is, as most people know, is at a completely different level. A guy could take, uh, take over a basketball game um, by himself now that he has the consistent three-point shooting. And, and a huge part of Purdue's ascension as well, not just their refined defense play, which is uh, gone wonders into their improved play in, in the Big Ten slate. They're slated around seventh in, in adjusted defensive efficiency among 14 teams in Big Ten play, but their defense is carrying them back in games. We saw as most recently as sun, last Sunday against Minnesota, where Minnesota was up five to seven points in that second half. Not only did Carson Edwards come alive, but their defensive play sparked it, and their ability to, to rebound the basketball uh, they force turnovers as well, which goes into their improved defense uh, over these last couple months. And on the glass, not just Matt Harms, who's a really sound rebounder for them and has improved his touchdown low. He's gotten better on the block for Purdue as the season's gone along. But Travion Williams, uh, you want to talk about a guy that wasn't getting any tack, any, any sort of tick at the beginning of the season, and now he's arguably – better than Matt Harms in terms of efficiency on a game-by-game basis. This is actually a low-post presence that can that you can dump the ball down to, not just the occasional hook shot from a Matt Harms, even though, again, he's improved. And Williams is also pretty sound defensively against Wisconsin on the road, a big win for, uh, a big win for Purdue earlier in the beginning part of when they started to ascend in Big Ten play. Travion Williams was going one-on-one against Ethan Happ and, and played pretty well and doing the same thing offensively. So the fact that you have two bigs now that Matt Painter relies on, not just the fact that you have three-point shooting and arguably the best player in the country, though Zion Williamson and Ethan Happ will have something to say about that towards the end of the season, this is a much different Purdue team than, than what we were looking at at the beginning of the season. And who was the other team that you mentioned again? We mentioned both Purdue and then also Iowa. Right. Iowa is a little bit different story for me because I, I do like to fade Iowa on a season-by-season basis and even on a game-by-game basis. And as much as people want to hate on Matt Painter, I hate the living hell out of Fran McCaffrey. That guy is <laughs> one of the most hateable coaches in college basketball. I'm sure you can uh, I'm sure you could agree with that, especially being an Indiana fan. Yes? Absolutely, yeah. And again, it was another Bohannon brother that was just. There's always going to be for oh, as man. long as college basketball exists, Eli. There's going to be a scrappy Bohannon brother that's draining thirty foot threes to crush your team. Yeah, and it happened again last night. Indiana within three, and Jordan Bohannon with a little shush to the crowd. You got to love that. I love the shush. I love the floor slap. I didn't mean to get a team going. That's, those are some of my favorite things to focus on during a game. Beyond the analytics and beyond the matchups. Yes. I mentioned earlier that, that matchups actually were my number one thing to go to when I write my columns, but the floor slap is the number one thing. When a team floor slaps a lot, that's that's that those are the teams I usually take in my matchups. I'm just kidding, obviously. But I always come out of nowhere this season. I don't want to say nowhere, but a typical team that regresses in Big Ten play, right? We haven't seen that. We saw that over a two-game stretch against Michigan State at home when they were up eight. Then Nick Ward started to get going. Cassius Winston started hitting threes in transition. Another guy that's in 
the Naismith conversation despite his turnover issues in Big Ten play. Now they've now they started to write the ship uh, with Michigan at home, a huge win, storm on the court last Friday against then-ranked number 5 Michigan. On the road, like we mentioned, yesterday is in Thursday against Indiana. So you're starting to see Iowa being able to write their or being able to shift past their defensive woes, which is very surprising because this is one of the worst interior defensive teams, not only in Big Ten play since the conference play started for Iowa in the, in the January and the February slate, but in the country. This team has regressed considerably in that department, but they've been able to, they've been able to move past that and, and ignore their defensive woes by, by, by being able to play inside out the other end with a guy like Tyler Cook and Luca Garza who as a sophomore has been arguably the most consistent post guy on a game-by-game basis to be able to dump the ball down to and score and play inside out through him. Also, Wieskamp, a freshman, they've been able to rely a lot on him. Now, I don't like the value. Iowa's not winning a national title, and I don't think you're going to be able to get any heads value on them either. So if you look at a team, let's say in Maryland, that you get to the Final Four and then you hedge on them and take the opposite side of whoever Maryland's playing the Final Four – to make money either way, then you're looking at hedging on a bet. But I don't see Iowa does not have the makeup of a Final Four team to me because when they play, when they play teams that can grind you down on the block and also shoot the ball consistently, which Michigan can only do one of those things, which we saw in the upset, they can only play, they can only consistently beat you down on the block. And Poole and Simpson and and the rest of that bunch, Charles Matthews, are inconsistent from deep. So that went into the upset last Friday. I don't like Iowa as a play at all. All right, last one before we get your thoughts on some of your favorite plays for Saturday or for this weekend. I'm trying to figure out why the number continues to be so low for Houston. They're the number 12 team in the country. Their one loss of the year was a four-point loss to Temple. I think, obviously, on Saturday, uh, they have a a really interesting game against Cincinnati uh, for first place in their conference, I think at around 3 p.m. East Coast time on on ESPN. So that's going to be a fascinating game. But they have an experienced coach in Kelvin Sampson. They're a good defensive team. They also are are good at – just getting the ball down the court and and really good efficiency. I I feel like I'm missing something on Houston because everything indicates that at plus 8,000 at 80 to one, this is a team that could absolutely make a run to the final four. Dude, you've read my, you've read my mind uh, yet again. You've also uh, read one of the future bets I made a month ago or so on, on an action network article. I, I put Houston as great value at around 100 to 1, you can get them at those odds at the time, and you still can on some offshore sites. But the Cougars are one of the best defensive teams in college basketball, and we saw this last year. We saw this last year going back to the round of 32 against Michigan. Yeah. And, and you, look at that, you look at that game, and yes, they had all, all one of the best scores in the country at that time, uh, one of the best point guards as well, and Rob Gray, a guy that can dish out at a, just under – 30% assist rate, but could also hit big shots. Anthony Cowan has for Maryland has a similar makeup to me in, in what Rob Gray meant to Houston last year. But now we're seeing their guard, their secondary, and, 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 and among those other guards that were important to them last year take a step up this year. Corey Davis being that secondary guy last year, that's a guy that could shoot the ball and can create off the bounce as well and is one of the best on-ball defenders in the country in a really good game rebounder too so you go back to that michigan game last year losing on the pool shot 
and you lose one of the top scores in college basketball. So in, in Rob Gray, it wasn't a Tennessee scenario. Now you look into it this year, and people are saying, well, who have they played? They lost on the road at Temple. So I'm automatically taking them off the list because Temple is a borderline NCAA tournament team. Look at how they lost at that, in that game. Corey Davis with an offensive foul down the stretch in the, in the, in the final second, actually. So the game script could have been flipped. Houston could have been going to the line. That was a questionable call, and I probably would have led towards an offensive foul. But nonetheless, Houston was right there in that game from having an undefeated season, and you're usually going to get a letdown on the road in conference play. They haven't had one since. And, and you mentioned Calvin Sampson, one of the best coaches in, in my mind right now in college basketball. I know it's weird to say, but what he's gotten out of this defense, they're the 11th-ranked adjusted defensive efficiency in the country. As I mentioned, top 50 in offensive and defensive rebounding rate, a really good game rebounding team. They got Fabian White back, which was huge for conference play, a, a, a big man that they didn't have to go alongside uh, their front court right now. You're seeing a team that could play inside out through uh, through Samson's motion-like offense. I don't necessarily want to call it a motion offense, but they play through Brady on the block primarily besides when he gets in foul trouble, which has happened from time to time in conference play, but they could play through their guards too. A Galen Robinson, another ball handler that can shoot the ball from deep. Armani Brooks is one of the best sharpshooters in my mind. A lot of these guys are so underrated in terms of their value, not just with Houston, but in college basketball overall. Houston is great value and a heck of a bet to make the Final Four. You could still get Final Four futures, which I know are down on some offshore sites. Get Houston while you still can a good value. All right, Eli, before I let you go, let's talk about the games this weekend. You'll obviously have an article coming out over at theactionnetwork.com involving some of your favorite plays for Saturday. So uh, let's preview a couple of those, a couple of your favorite bets for Saturday or for this weekend. Uh, And then also, maybe looking at it from a DFS perspective, uh, are there a couple plays, if you're going on fantasy sports markets and you're putting a lineup together, that you know you're going to want to make sure that you include this weekend? So looking at the two names first on my list, Zion Williamson and Ethan Half. Technically, they would be the most expensive players if you were playing college basketball DFS. Obviously, that's not the case with the tremendous website you run in fantasysportsmarkets.com because you don't have salaries. You could play both Zion Williamson and Ethan Half and get some of the other best players in college basketball and be just fine. But looking at the Williamson matchup, had a really good game against Virginia the first time out. I think they're going to double-team him a lot in this one and force the ball out to R.J. Barrett. And, and Cam Reddish, and a, a Duke team that struggles from deep. I think this is a nice bounce-back spot for Virginia to get revenge against Duke in a game that was an eight-point game, unless you were, uh, for the most part, unless you were looking at those last two minutes where DeAndre Hunter gave us Virginia backers that cover. I don't know if you had Virginia in that one, but that was a huge spot for to get the, to get the cover with the DeAndre Hunter uh, questionable buzzer beater that gave Virginia the three-and-a-half-point cover or whatever it was. But back to the plays, I don't necessarily like Zion this week against Virginia. I love Ethan Happ. Again, even though it's a rematch game against Michigan, yes, they might double him on the block. But Michigan gives up the highest percentage of the highest two-point percentage uh, within the scoring percentage to their opponents in the entire country. So in, in, in layman's terms, Michigan's opponents this season have the highest two-point scoring percentage. So where their points are coming from in college basketball across the country. Wisconsin plays on the block a lot, even though they, they're a really high volume, or not high volume, but they shoot it well from deep. Uh, they, they get a lot of their points from inside the arc, and Ethan Half 
can play through double teams. He can match up well against Tusky. He can match up well against Brasdakis. I like Ethan Happ a lot on Saturday, even though Michigan might win that game and might cover the lines around five to six, depending on where you're getting in. That's just, that's just the opening line. But Ethan Happ is one of my favorite plays for this weekend. And looking down at the rest of, or at least at the rest of the top ten and outside of it, uh, a name that we talked about off the podcast being Jordan Murphy going up against Michigan State. And the more I think about this one, and if we look at the way Michigan State has played over their last three games, being three straight losses, not just not getting a cover in the last three games, but three consecutive losses, you're seeing a team that's regressed defensively, not just because they're turning the ball over a lot, but Nick Ward has regressed as a player on both ends of the, of the floor, which I didn't expect at all this season. I uh, Part of it was not making free throws against Indiana, which I know you're very happy about on Saturday, but Michigan State's interior defense, like Michigan's, has uh, Michigan's has been you know inconsistent all year, but Michigan State's has started to regress. I like Jordan Murphy as a as a nice play to go along with Ethan Happ when you're looking to fill out that front court, or if you're looking for two bigs. I don't know. It depends on the way you like to format your lineups. But if I was going about it, you know, when I do go about it, I'm looking at filling out some guards and 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 it, and forwards at a respective pace. Not trying to go guard heavy or forward heavy. Looking to get rebounds as well in the mix there too. Another play that I like this weekend, looking at the Texas Tech-Oklahoma game. And Oklahoma played pretty well against Iowa State, a team that's starting to come into form and probably challenges, if not wins, the Big 12 title this year outright. Kansas State, obviously, in the mix there, too. We saw Kansas State play very well against Kansas at home. But Texas Tech is, yes, they're more known for their defense, and yes, their offense can take them out of games this year. The Red Raiders need Jarrett Culver to be ultra-aggressive for for Texas Tech to have a shot, not only in the latter part of conference play, but also in March. you got to get off to better starts offensively, and there's no better team to do that against than Oklahoma. If you look at where they're giving up the majority of their points, and it's actually pretty even throughout. They've been a porous defense, uh, the seventh lowest or the seventh-ranked adjusted uh, defensive efficiency in Big 12 play. They're giving up their fair share of threes, and Culver is necessarily known for his three-point shooting. But Texas Tech gets the line a lot, and Culver is up there on the Red Raiders in free throw rate. And what do you know, Oklahoma gives up the third-highest free throw rate in the Big 12. I look at Culver to be aggressive early, attack, get to the line, and, and rack up a sound amount of points. He's also one of the best assist guys for a, a, bit, for a you know a 6-6 wing. I mentioned that earlier, being able to switch. Culver could switch, which doesn't really matter for DFS, but being able to have a guy that can handle the basketball as a ball handler and also as a, as a, as a guy that can play on the block, whatever it may be, that's huge for DFS because then you're also racking up assists. And, and Culver, again, is, has formed himself into one of the top wing assist guys in college basketball, top 80 in assist rate across the country. Really like that call on Culver. He had 41.6 points in the last time against Oklahoma. And then especially if you're not thrilled about the Zion Williamson matchup, R.J. Barrett had a great game against Virginia, even in a game that I think people were surprised about the pace. Uh, I'm looking at the the sheet now. He had 30 points uh, in that game against Virginia, played 40 minutes, and you know it's going to be another tight ball game. So if you decide that you wanted to fade Zion Williamson, which in cash games I can't in good conscience recommend you do, maybe in some of the tournaments at FSM, make sure R.J. Barrett 
Barrett is in your lineup because you're going to want a piece of at least one of those guys, especially if Zion gets double teamed in the post. He'll be able to kick out to Barrett. He had 30 last time out. Eli, great stuff, man. I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Make sure you guys are following him on Twitter at Eli Hershkovich. And also on the Action Network app, if you go to myaction.app, slash Eli Hershkovich. You can check out his plays for all the different college basketball slates that you want to be a part of. But it's great information. It's great stuff. And I appreciate you hopping on today, buddy. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ben. I really appreciate it. And be sure to subscribe to the Action Network along with the Action Network app, which obviously comes with that. Again, like Ben mentioned earlier on, be able to take a look where the money is going. Not only that, but where the sharp money is going, which is very important when you're looking beyond the matchups and beyond the, the spots for teams, whether it's you know a regression spot, a letdown spot, or a favorable spot to get to get a bounce back victory. No doubt, it's a good way to get that uh, that big brother back into DFS and, and pair the two together, man. I appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Ben. 